Amen. I don't know whether to come up here and just go ahead and run now. What do you think? <laughs> Praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. While you're turning there, my, my, what a good time of worship we've already had tonight. I, I couldn't help but think while... He was singing that no more night about getting over there to the revelation. And it's good, isn't it? He said there'd be no more tears. No more pain and no more sorrow. Because the former things are gone and all things are made new. I know everybody's been all tore up about the eclipse today. <laughs> but I'd like to remind you that the Word of God says in that same chapter in the Revelation, in that city there'll be no need for a light. <laughs> because Jesus is the light of that city. <clears throat> I just feel that all over more than anywhere else. Anybody feel that like that? I, mm. 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 Pastor, you ever just not want to say anything because you don't want to interrupt? Thank you so much for the invitation to come back. I am so honored to be here. I'm, I'm honored to be invited back anywhere, but uh, really honored. <laughs> This, if my count right, this is my third time. That's amazing. That's a record right there. I thank you so much. I love you, Pastor. I am convinced he and I are brothers. I'll just leave it right there, okay? <laughs> We're brothers, and I love him, and thank God for him. It's just amazing because I just sat down with him. It's like we just picked up where we left off, and, you know, that's what brothers do. And I do love you and thank God for you. Second Timothy chapter 2, I'd like to begin to read in verse 3. I want to read two verses, verse 3 and 4. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, in reverence to the Word of God, stand with me as we read. Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. A good soldier. I want to talk about a good soldier tonight. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Oh God, I just thank you every bit of energy and amount of time it's taken for us to come to this place tonight, it's already been worth it. For you have blessed us with your presence. And God, I thank you that you are in our midst. And God, since you're here, I pray you'd preach. Just move me out of the way and you preach to us tonight. For God, we need to hear the words that will change our lives and only yours will. So God, just dismiss me and let us hear from heaven. 
And Lord, I pray that it would please you to preach to the end that somebody would be saved. Lord, may it please you to preach to the end that somebody will be set free. Somebody will be healed. A broken relationship be mended. God, I don't know all the issues of the hearts that are in this place, but you do. So preach to us, Lord. And I would that all the praise, honor, and glory might be credited to Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who he has been discipling and mentoring him. He's been nurturing him in the things of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul is like a spiritual father to Timothy, who's like a spiritual son to him. And before I move to the context, I just want you to recognize how biblically sound that is and how profitable it is and how we ought to follow his example. We all need somebody we can look up to spiritually that could encourage us and help us in the faith. Don't. I find myself, I'm going to tell y'all how much I'm feeling at home. If I'd have known your pastor wasn't wearing a tie, I wouldn't even wore mine either. But I'm going to go ahead and unbutton my collar because I feel at home, all right? Oh, I bet I can preach two more hours with that. <laughs> Somebody's going to say, tighten it up. Anyway. We all need somebody to speak into our lives and encourage us in the things of the Lord. And we all ought to be looking for people to come behind us that we could mentor and disciple and encourage. Do you know that? We, we need, listen, everybody needs it and we need to do that. The Apostle Paul often wrote and he said, as you have seen in me, do. I love the Apostle Paul is so bold, but I love that he is confident in who Jesus is in him. Paul was not being arrogant when he said, do as you see me do. He was saying, I've set a standard to try to be like Jesus so that I can show somebody else how to walk like Jesus. We ought to be doing the same thing. So who is it that you are mentoring or discipling? So the Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy and he says uh, in, as he begins chapter 2 in, in the first uh, five, six verses he gives four analogies or pictures of what being a minister or a servant of the Lord looks like. And he says first of all my son be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard in me among many witnesses the same commit thou to faithful men who shall also be able to teach. He said, as a follower of Christ, I need to learn how to teach. He was telling Timothy, you need to be a teacher because you need to share what God has given you. Verse 3 and 4, he says, be a good soldier. We're going to expound on that in just a moment. Verse 5, and if a man also strive for masters, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. This is an athlete. And he says, the athlete can only win if he keeps the rules. And then in verse 6, the husbandman, that's a farmer. And so he gives four pictures of what that Christian walk looks like. A teacher, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And I wish I had time to preach all four, but if I did, we'd be here till next Monday when Dr. Jeffries got here. So we're going to just stick with the soldier, amen? We're going to stick with the soldier, a good soldier. What the Bible tells us about this being 
a soldier. Do you know that it, it's something special to be a soldier? I had a young man in my church a number of years ago, and he was out of high school, and he just didn't know what to do with his life, and, and he decided one day to join the Marines. Now, he was a good boy, just kind of didn't have a lot of direction, you know, just kind of, you know, he's, hey, he's there, you know, it's kind of there. Well, he was supposed to go on X date. They called him three weeks ahead of time and said, we got an opening in this class. How about you start now? <laughs> Whew, I'd have been scared to death. But he went. And in about eight weeks, he came back from boot camp. And I was so glad that Sunday morning. I said, I'm so glad to see you. And I called his name. I said, we're so glad to see you. Stand up there and let everybody see you. I said, we've been praying for you and we're glad you're home. He said, sir, yes, sir. Man, it scared me to death. I thought this guy's never said four words to me. And he just, sir, yes, sir. He was a whole new human being. See, when you go to boot camp, the drill sergeant has something in mind. He has a plan for you. Another one of my deacons told me that the plan that D.I. has for you is that you will be lower than the dirt on the bottom of his boot. And when you feel lower than the, the dirt on the bottom of his boot, then he's ready to make you a soldier. See, they tear you down of what you bring and who you are, and then they build you up to be what they want you to be. That's why when you see a young man or young woman come out of boot camp, they're markedly different than when they went in. Let, let me say this gingerly. They've been under the influence of somebody who will not take no for an answer. Wonder, is that what the Apostle Paul was talking about? He wanted young Timothy to understand that's what we were supposed to be as followers of Christ? I believe it was. In verse 3 he said, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I want to start at the end. A good soldier of Jesus Christ. Before you can be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you've got to be enlisted. You've got to get in the program. You've got to be connected to the source. Before you can be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you've got to know Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus? Well, Jesus, that's the name that tells us that he is the anointed one. Christ, that's the name that tells us he's anointed. Jesus is the one that tells us of his incarnation. He was 100% man, 100% God who left heaven, came to earth, died on the cross and shed his life's blood for your sins and mine. Three days later, God raised him from the dead and the Bible said, whosoever believeth in him, whosoever, Believeth it. Watch this, watch this. The last part of verse 4. I'll get to this in a minute, but i got to show you something. It says, uh, to please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Anybody believe that the Lord chooses those in his army? Absolutely. He chooses whosoever will call upon his name. I said he chooses whosoever shall call upon his name. Whosoever, who does that include? Let me help you. Who doesn't that include? 
It includes everybody that breathes. Our Lord came to save that which was lost and all are lost because all have sinned. And the Bible said the wages of sin is death. But the gift, hello? My, this ought to help your theology. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. Which sin? Just pick one. It didn't matter which one, just any one. Do we have anybody here that's never sinned? So he got us all. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. We deserve to die and go to hell. We deserve to be eternally separated from the love of Almighty God for all of eternity. But God, come on now. Listen, listen, the wages of sin is death, but the gift, If he's, who's a gift for? I hadn't even got to my text. Who's the gift for? Somebody that will receive it. That's who it's for. Listen, he offers a free gift of eternal life. Will you receive him? Listen, friend, if you're here tonight and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, you know for certain in your heart, if you die, you're going to hell. Maybe tonight you say, I don't know where I'd go if I die. You're a candidate to receive the gift of eternal life because if you don't know, you need to know because he wants you to know and everybody that knows him knows. I don't think I'm going to heaven. I don't hope I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven because the Bible said in 1 John 5 that he has written these things to us who believe on the name of the Son of God that we may know that we have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. Hey man, I'm glad I'm saved tonight. I'm glad I'm saved tonight. I'm glad I'm saved. I know you're not enjoying it, but I can't get over it. I'm glad that I'm saved tonight, aren't you? I tell you, if I was saved, I believe I'd shout amen. Mm. Trying to get to my text. So what does a good soldier do? He's got to be enlisted with the king, amen, a soldier of Jesus Christ. But the Bible said that a good soldier will endure hardness. Notice, first of all, the soldier's position. The soldier's position. Nobody goes into the military for a cream puff job. Nobody. Because as sure as you go in and think you're on easy street, war will break out. <laughs> and you're going to the front line, honey. I mean, I'm telling you, nobody joins the military for easy street. They joined to serve. When the Apostle Paul used this picture of being a good soldier, he says something that's, it's, well, it's, it's almost not even needed. It's almost understood that a soldier's going to have to endure hardness. There's going to be, do you know why you go through those boot camps when you go into military? They're trying to prepare you. And as hard as it is physically, mentally, emotionally, those who have been to war know that it doesn't even compare to how bad war is. They're trying to prepare them. You know if you go in the military, you're going to have some hardness, some harshness, some difficulties. And so Paul says to Timothy, be a good soldier and endure harshness. Endure hardness. 
endure difficulties. Let's look at that, the word endure. He was telling him don't quit. I said he was telling him don't quit. Some folks believe, well, if I get saved, all my troubles are over. <laughs> Anybody ever told you that the Christian life was a bed of roses? It is. You just need to remember there's thorns with the rose. Because it's difficult. You know why? We have an enemy who wants to destroy us. We have an enemy who wants to deter and distract us. We have an enemy who is against us on every hand. He's going to make it as hard as he can on us. But that's all right because we endure. Now, I, I can give you some pictures of endurance, but there is no greater picture then Jesus endured the agony and the pain and death on the cross because of you and me. He endured. He kept going even when it was tough. I wish Christians could get a hold of that. I'm so tired of Christians being mamby-pamby, Casper, milk-toast, spineless jellyfish. I am. We don't mind to talk about other Christians. We don't mind to talk about lost people. We don't mind to talk about the preacher. Even to his face sometimes, rarely, but some. But when it comes to standing up for what is right, we seem to have lost our backbone. Why can we not endure for that which is right Instead of settling and being complacent for that which is not right. See, we have to endure harshness because the enemy attacks us and the attacks, let, listen, the attacks let up when we're not enduring. Some of you say, well, the devil really don't tempt me. That ought to be a big sign for you. You ought to, you ought to see a big blinking neon sign that says, you are doing nothing for the kingdom what you ought to see because if the devil never bothers you it's because you're no threat to him you know the devil ought to be on you every day because he knows that, listen when you get up and hit your knees he ought to get worried every morning I mean don't you get this picture don't you want that every time you get out of bed don't you want the devil to say good lord they're up again huh but see in order to do that we're going to have to recognize we'll have some difficulties and we're going to have to endure. Brother Charles, I don't know how many people you have on your church row. My last church, we had, I don't know, about 16, 1,700 on the church row. People say, how many are you running? I said, well, we got about 16 or 1,700 on the row, but I'm only running about 800 and I'm running them as hard as I can. Can't find them. FBI can't find them. I hadn't caught but about 800, and I'm running the other 800. You don't have none of that problem around here. No. I know y'all are unusual Baptist church. You don't have that kind of issue. But most of our Baptist churches, we got so many on the road, can't nobody find. And I don't understand. If they were of us, why are they not with us? Mm -mm. Believe the Bible said, they went out from us because they were not of us because if they had been of us, they'd still be with us. Can I help you with something? 
We don't have near as many backslidden folks as we think. We got a bunch of lost people whose names have been written on a piece of paper. Preacher, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. I go to church because I am a Christian, amen? I want to be in the house of God. You know why a lot of folks come and quit? Because they don't endure like a good soldier. Listen, it's not easy. You gotta stand up. You gotta man up. Have a little backbone and stand for that which is right. Well, what if we don't? Well, I'm glad you asked. Did you know that the Southern Baptist Convention is officially a denomination in decline? Did you know that? We have 10 plus years of declining baptism. You know what that tells me? We got a lot of folks who quit. Wait a minute, preacher, we talking about lost folks. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We're not baptizing because those who have been baptized, they're not doing anything for the kingdom. We're supposed to go get those who are lost. And in doing so, we may have to endure some hardness. But we are committed to the task. I don't know anybody that likes a quitter. I, I, I'm amazed some people, some people quit. They quit so much. They think that they're going to get a, well, you quit so much, I'm just going to promote you. That must be what they think because they quit all the time. I had, when I pastored and I pastored a number of churches, they come to my office, well, preacher, you know, I'm thinking about resigning from this committee. <laughs> when I was a young preacher, ignorant, wet behind the ear and green, didn't know any better, I'd say, oh, don't do that. But then the Lord grew me up a little bit. And if you come in my office and say, I'm thinking about resigning, I say, thank you for your resignation. You're not going to hold me hostage to be on this committee. I don't need you. <laughs> See, if you've got to play games like, well, if you don't do this, I'm just going to resign. Well, resign. Just go on. We don't need that. You're not enduring. You're trying to pull everybody else along on your way. I like what one of my friends used to say all the time when I was in school with him. He'd say, you know, we got too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Hey, just let that one hang on the clothesline of your mind for just a minute. You know how many chiefs you have in this church? You ought to have one. His name's Jesus. Amen? You know who the next one is? It's your pastor. Amen. Some of y'all didn't amen because you think you are. <laughs> I have scoured the text. And I can't find anywhere that there's church mamas and church daddies that are called by God to be church mamas and church daddies. Well, amen, Brother Charles. Me and you might leave together tonight because I don't know if anybody's going to help me. The Bible said we're supposed to endure hardness. We're to endure hardships. We're to endure the difficult times. It simply shows that we are committed to the task. And what Paul was saying to Timothy is don't you quit. Can I say something to you, church? Don't you quit. Well, I just can't do anything anymore. 
I served my time in the nursery. Isn't that pitiful? I said, isn't that pitiful? I served my time. Sounds like you was in jail. I served my time. That's pitiful. I don't know, Brother Charles, y'all may not be like me. Churches I've pastored, we were forever trying to get folks to serve in the nursery because it's a ministry. It's not working in the nursery. It's serving in the nursery. Now, I'm sure y'all have plenty of volunteers. I just kind of have these ideas. I, I, I know I'm, I'm way out there, and I recognize that. I'm way out there. But, you know, it makes sense to me that if everybody would volunteer, you wouldn't have to work but once, maybe twice a year. But I just something I think. But the best folks to work in the nursery are those grandmothers and granddaddies. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't get it. When I, I didn't get it. <clears throat> there wasn't even a grunt. Hey, do you? <laughs> listen, listen to me, listen to me. These young parents, I think they should serve in the nursery too, but they shouldn't do it every week or every other week or three weeks a month. Sometimes this is the only hour of peace they have in their life. And I know because I had two boys. I, got, I just sent my last one to college. Y'all pray for me. I thought it was expensive raising them till now. Just pray for me, okay? Just pray for me. But I'm telling you, when they were little, good night, I was loving to go preach because they weren't hanging on me. And some of these young parents are wore out. And they, they need to be fed spiritually. They need just a minute of quiet. And the grandparent, there's something about a grandparent. There's just something about a baby will go to a senior adult quicker than anybody else. It's amazing. You know, I guess it's because y'all know how to handle babies. Because I know when we had a baby, you know, we were all excited and everything. We're going to have a baby and my wife's pregnant. And we brought that thing home and I was scared to death. And nobody sent a book, a how-to. Not that I would have read it. I'd ask my wife to read it and tell me, but I didn't know what to do. I'm in there every 30 minutes at night seeing if he's breathing. If I wasn't in there, he's crying, so I would come in there. Lord, help us. But there's something about that grandparent. Grandmothers and granddaddies, just, boy, they can just minister to a child. Anyway, I, that's not my notes. I just thought I'd throw that in. I'm leaving in a little while. <laughs> I told you I don't usually get three times back. So anyway, listen. Hey, <laughs> endure. Sometimes we just got to press forward. We cannot quit. Quit must not be in our vocabulary. The position of a soldier is one that is always pushing forward. It's a soldier's position. Enduring hardness. But let me show you something else. The Bible said in verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Not only do I see the soldier's position as one of suffering and endurance and pressing forward, but notice with me the soldier's plight. The soldier's plight. What does it say? The Bible said no man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. That term entangle, it, it means in the Greek, the Greek word is impleco, impleco. And it literally means to weave together. Have you ever seen something that was woven together? Boy, if you, you weave something together, good, and it's tight. Once it gets weaved in good and tight, 
you can't get it apart unless you do some surgery with something sharp. You know what I'm saying? That's the picture of the good soldier. The good soldier doesn't get entangled with the things of the world. That means we don't weave ourselves to the things of the world. How much of a challenge is that? I'm telling you, we live in a world. <laughs> I want to tell you what the redeeming factors of the world are. I just can't find them. Think about it. I don't even want to go outside the world. Let's just stay in our country. We have drifted so far from truth. Our churches, listen, our churches are filled with less than 30% of the population of our nation any given Sunday. Are, let me ask you a question. Are we a Christian nation? It sure seems to me that a whole lot of the church folks have gotten impleco. They've gotten entangled with the things of the world. Have you noticed how church is not as important as it one time was? I've had so many parents come to me, I want you to fire the student minister because my kid doesn't want to come to church. He's 16 and he don't want to come to church. I wish I could tell you how many times I've had parents come to me and chew me out because the student minister had a student who didn't want to come to church. Their student, their child. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that we played travel ball eight months out of the year and Sunday really didn't matter. You could be on the ball field or at the house of God. It really doesn't matter. I know that gets close to the corn. I understand. I had two boys who played sports. They loved athletics, and I just, every time we'd start a sport, I'd walk up to the coach. I'm Rock Collins. This is my boy, and this is my boy, and I'd say that we're here to play. We're going to be the best you got. I'm going to be the best supporter you have, but I want you to know right now, we don't play, nor do we practice on Wednesday night or Sunday. That's just how we did it. I said, I'll come in and pray with your team. I'll pray for you. I said, if you want me to come pray with a team or not, I'm still going to pray for you. But we're not going to be here those days because we believe those days are for the Lord. It's just how we're going to do it. But it seems everything's more important these days. Well, you know, there was something good on TV, so we just laid at the house and watched it instead of coming to church. And you want to know why little Joey don't want to come to church on Sunday night? Because it wasn't important to you. It's not going to be important to him. See, we've gotten entangled with the things of the world. Listen to me, listen to me. You'll pay a heavy price for getting entangled with the world. You don't believe me? Let me let's interview somebody. Let's interview somebody. Y'all just got scared, thought I was going to grab you. I'm not. But I'll interview somebody in the text. There was this guy in the text. His name was David. Hey, David, if you get entangled with the world, will it affect your family? Let's see. He looked off the balcony, saw a woman bathing, had her come up the house, had sex with her. She got pregnant, called her husband, and sent him back so he could be killed. So he murdered him by proxy and took his wife that he had already committed adultery with for his own. 
He had a son named Amnon and a daughter named Tamar, and Amnon thought his sister looked good, and so he raped her. Now, how do you think David would explain this happening in his family? I believe he got entangled with the world. Well, you know, we can't blame it all on David. Well, let's just look at that for just a minute. Can you imagine David calls Amnon in and he said, Son, what are you? That's your sister. Well, Daddy, I learned it from you. You saw a woman you wanted and you took her. Absalom, another of his sons, killed Amnon because Amnon had raped his sister. Can you imagine that discussion with David and Absalom? Absalom, what are you thinking? That's your brother. You killed him. Well, Dad, when it suited your purpose, you killed a man. See, see what I'm saying is when we entangle with the world, there's other people who are watching, and they're right there in our house with us. Now, I got two boys, 21 and 17. If I have any godly single women, let me know. Come see me taking resumes. Too, much, too important of a decision to leave to them. Amen. My grandkids on the line, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Here's what I'm wanting to say to you. My two boys, I don't know where they figured this out. I, 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 it just burns me up. I see them do things that I know they saw me do. And I told them not to do it. They'll say things, and it's something I said. I mean, what do you say when your son says to you something you've already said? You're like, See, what I'm saying to you is your children and your grandchildren, your family will do as they see you do, not as they hear you say. I just moved to Middle Tennessee. We... We moved, as, as the pastor told you, I'm director of evangelism for Tennessee Convention now, and we moved to Middle Tennessee. We put our house on the market, and we found a house in Murfreesboro that we really liked, and so we put a contract on that house. I put a little money on it and said, I want you to hold this for me. They said, we'll hold it for 60 days. And if you don't have a contract on your house in East Tennessee, we will not hold this house any longer. I said, okay. We prayed and we worked and we begged and pleaded and, you know, talked to people, come by our house. I mean, I worked on my realtor and everything. My son comes home from college and he hears me and my wife kind of, I hate to say this, but just belly aching a little bit about how the house wasn't selling. Okay, I know y'all wouldn't do it, but I did, okay? <laughs> and my son, I don't know who he thinks he is, he has the audacity to look at me and, my, me and my wife. I'm his daddy, that's his mother, and says, don't you believe what you preach? He said, boy, I will wear you. <laughs> Where's he coming up with that? He said, you told, you told everybody I'll have faith. And trust, don't you trust them? Boy, you better go back to school, and I mean now. It's got right down there to where I was living. The day before my contract ran out, 
Contract ran out on Friday. On Thursday afternoon, my realtor called and said, somebody wants to see your house at 3.30. At 4.30, he called me and said, we got a contract. 24 hours before. I guess the Lord looked at me like he did his disciples when they went and woke him up when the boat was rocking because of the storm and said, don't you care, we're going to die. Can you imagine waking up Jesus and saying, don't you care, we're going to die? Jesus like, I'm on the boat, we ain't going to die. Okay, that's, that's what I interpret what he said as. <laughs> but what he said was, why is it you have no faith? When we get entangled with the world, our faith takes a hit. And we start trying to figure out on our own terms how to work stuff out. When we get entangled with the world, it affects those who are following us, our family, our children, even people at our work, at our school, even people we see at the Walmart or at a ball game who look to us as a Christian and maybe the only Christian influence they have in their life. They're looking at us and we cannot afford to be too entangled with the world. 2 Peter 2, 19, 20 says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Friend, we must understand we've been saved from the world. We've been saved out of the world. Though we're still in it, we're not supposed to be of it. We're supposed to look drastically different. We're supposed to talk drastically. We ought to sound different. We ought to smell different. We ought to act different in all of our ways. Well, preacher, do you think we're better than everybody else? No, God forbid, I know better than that. We're not better, but we sure ought to act like we're forgiven, and we ought to act like we're different. You know, the Bible said, that those of us who follow Christ are peculiar. Now, I got most of those in churches I pastored. Because <laughs> I'm telling you what, I've had some pretty peculiar folks. Amen. Let me tell you the worst part. I didn't got to the worst part about entangled with the world. People who watch you and you get entangled with the world, it will kill your witness and your ability to point other people to Jesus. Do you understand that we cannot afford to be entangled with the world because other people's destiny is on the line too? We ought to be telling other people about Jesus instead of trying to be accepted by the world. I've already figured out this world hates me. This world doesn't care for me. And it's not that they hate me so bad, they just hate my Savior. And you know what? That's all right with me. If they hate me because of who I serve, I'm going to keep on serving him anyhow. The Bible tells us in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. The apostle Paul said, I'm willing to sacrifice 
everything so as to help others see Jesus and be an illustration of the grace of God. Listen, when God saved us, he made us trophies of his grace. We have a story to tell that Jesus can change anybody. See, a good soldier can't get entangled because a good soldier is willing to sacrifice the temporary joys of entanglement. I said the good soldier is willing to sacrifice the temporary pleasures of entanglement. You know why? Because the good soldier is willing to sacrifice I don't know if you know the story of Masada in Israel. It's a, it's a big mountain and it's flat on top and the Jews had a, well it was Herod's palace at one point and the Jews took it when the Romans ran them out of Jerusalem. And there was a number of Jews that held that place and the Romans came out there and they started trying to build a ramp to get up to them. And the Jews would push big boulders off the top to keep them from doing it. Then when they didn't have any more boulders left, they kept building and they would take oil and, and get it good and hot and they'd pour it off the side of the mountain. Burn those Romans up. So the Romans then got Jews as slaves and made them build the ramp up because they knew the Jews wouldn't kill their own people. The ramp is almost to the top and the Romans would soon overtake it. And that night, all the Jews up on top of Masada cut their throats and killed themselves because they said we'd rather die than be a slave to any man. Now I'll tell you that story for this. I understand that in Israel, everybody is in the military. When you graduate from high school, if you're a boy, you go in for three years. If you're a girl, you go in for two years. And then you go back for two weeks, a year, every year until you're 55. That means the whole nation is a standing army. I don't know if you understand that or not. But when they go and join, when they come out of high school and they go into the military, they take them to Masada. Did you know that? They take them to Masada. And they raise their hand, and you know what they do? They swear Masada will never fall again. That means if they have to lay down their life, they'll lay down their life because they are committed. wonder if that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he talks about a good soldier. Because we cannot afford to be entangled with that which keeps us from doing the main thing. We are committed whatever it takes to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we're willing to do. There is no sacrifice too great that we won't do for him. 
That's what a good soldier looks. The soldier's position is one of endurance and hardship. A soldier's plight is one that he will not become entangled with the things of the world. But let me hasten and I'll be done. I see then finally in verse 4, no man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We see the soldier's position and the soldier's plight, but notice the soldier's purpose. The soldier has one purpose. The good soldier of God has one purpose. You know what it is? To please the Lord. The soldier of Jesus Christ has one purpose, and that is to please the Lord. The one who saved him, the one who called him, the one who has given him life itself. And so how does the good soldier do that? I'm almost done. Stay with me. How does a good soldier please the one who's called him? Well, first of all, you know that the Bible said in Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please the Lord. You want to know how to be a good soldier that pleases the Lord? Then live by faith. I said live by faith. I said live by faith. You're not always going to know the answer. You're not always going to know how it's going to work out. I said you're not always going to know how it's going to work out. I said you're not always going to know how it's going to work out. And if you knew how it's going to work out, you wouldn't need any faith. See, faith is just stepping off where you can't see you stepping. But you know, you just sure that if you step off, he's going to take care of you. Do you, you live by, the, by faith? I, I said, do you live by faith? See, closely, closely related with faith is obedience. Did you know that? You've you got to have faith to live in obedience. Because if not, you're going to say, why should I do this? Let me, let me see if I can think of one example real quick. Uh, okay, tithing. <laughs> Just came to mind. <laughs> Malachi chapter 3 says, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse. That's what the Bible says. Now, do we tithe? Let me ask you something. Do we tithe out of obedience? Do we tithe because we're committed? Do we tithe because we have faith in God? Do, why do we tithe? Well, I want to tell you, I tithe because, number one, it's obedient. That's what God said to do. He said, bring ye all the tithe in the store. In case you're wondering, I'm here to help. One dime out of every dollar. One penny out of every dime. Are you with me? One dollar out of every ten dollars. Do I need to go on? That, that's what the Bible said. You bring it all the tithe to the storehouse. I said, bring it all the tithe to the storehouse. I do that out of obedience. But let me tell you what else. I do it out of faith. Because I got to be honest with you, when I do my budget, it don't work. If I take 10% out, it don't work. I need that 10%. Any of y'all ever had that experience? You ever had more month at the end of the money? I cannot tell you, and I'll bet your pastor could testify. I shouldn't say that. I bet. I would assume, and that's a bad thing too, that your pastor's had this same experience. I've had people sit in my office and say, Pastor, I heard you preaching on tithing, but the truth is, I just, you know, I just don't, I don't, there's not enough money to tithe. I can't do it. Can I tell you, listen, please hear my heart. I've been so moved by their story. And, and I see it, and it really is hard, and money really is tight. And my, my heart of compassion just wells up in me. And, Pastor, I want to say, well, you know, okay, but God won't let me. I've tried to. 
And God would stop me. And he'd say, don't you believe me? Now, God may not talk to y'all like that, but he does me. He said, don't you believe me, boy? And I look at him and say, I understand money's tight, but the word of God is true. And it said, listen, it says in Malachi 3, test me. It's the only place he said to test it. Test me in these things and see. See, what I'm trying to tell you is tithing is not just an obedience, it's a faith issue. I said, tithing is not just about obedience, it's a faith issue. And so when we trust God and we believe him, then we do it. We do it out of obedience, but we do it because we trust him to do what he said he would do. What did he say he'd do? He said, I'll fill, he said, I'll fill your barns up, you'll have to build some new ones. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to give you money. These guys on television crack me up. Send me $1,000 and you'll be blessed. You know they really mean to say, send me $1,000 and I'll be blessed. That's what they mean to say. You know, listen. And by the way, while I'm there, if you're sending your tithe to somebody on television, when you die, you tell your family to call them to come do your funeral, okay? You, come on, yeah, Amen. You didn't love and trust your church enough to tithe in obedience to what God said. You thought you'd send it to somebody on television. You called them to come to the hospital. I heard one of them on TV the other day said, you ought to send your tithe here because the Bible tells you you ought to send your tithe wherever you're getting fed. I didn't find that in Scripture anywhere. It said the storehouse. Don't get me off on that. I'll go to meddling sure as the world. I'm telling you that a soldier's purpose is onefold. is to please the Lord. We do that by faith. Living by faith. Walking by faith. Everything we do by faith. We live that by obedience. Listen, we please him by obedience. But Lord says, we also please him by serving. By serving. What are you doing for the kingdom? Let me ask you a question. What have you done this week for the kingdom? What have you done this week? What have you done this year for the kingdom? What have you, how have you served the Lord. Because the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to serve and out of obedience to him we obey what he says and if we love him then we live in obedience. How are you doing serving the Lord? How are you doing? Well, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I just come to church. Well, bless your heart. The church needs to be active. Do something. Stand at the door and greet people. Those of you who can smile, stand at the door and greet people. Those of you who can't, just come on in here and pray or something. Just The Bible said, 1 Thessalonians 2, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines the heart. And I simply say that a good soldier knows that his purpose is to please the Lord, and we're never more pleasing than when we're sharing his great name with a lost world. We're sharing his love with those who are perishing. And the Bible said he's entrusted that gospel to us to share. We've been commissioned to do it wonder how pleasing we are to the Lord. See, the soldier's purpose is really this. Matthew 25, 21 says it and sums it up completely. 
We want to hear our master say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't know anybody who loves Jesus who doesn't want to hear him say, well done. Amen? Man, I want to hear him say, well, I want to hear, I, I want to hear roll off the lips of that same one who said it is finished. I want to hear him say, well done. But as bad as I want to hear it, I'm not going to hear it if it's not well done. Do you hear me? We're living a pipe dream if we think God is just going to bless us because, well, just because we didn't do nothing. We just, well, you know. No, I don't know. Well done will be reserved for those good soldiers who have served well, endured hardship. They didn't get entangled with the world and they did everything they could to please the one who had called them. One has written these words and said, I am a soldier, a prayer warrior of the army of my God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army, and I am enlisted for eternity. I will either retire in this army at the rapture or die in this army, but I will not get out, sell out, be talked out. I am faithful, capable, and dependable. I am a soldier in the army of the Lord. If my God needs me, I'm there. I am a soldier, a prayer warrior. I'm not a baby. I do not need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. I said... I am not a baby. I do not need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pumped, pepped up. I am a soldier, a prayer warrior. No one has to call me. Nobody has to remind me. Nobody has to write me. Nobody has to visit me, entice me, or lure me. See, I'm a soldier. I'm not a wimp. I'm in place saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. I'm a soldier. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, candy, or give me handouts. I do not need to be cuddled, cradled, cared for, or catered to. I wish this read, I'm a Baptist, but none of this would apply much. I've heard more church fights and griping over fellowship meals than I ever have over baptismal pools that are empty. I am committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I don't know who wrote this. It's anonymous, but I love them. They are kin to me. I am committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. See, I'm a soldier. When Jesus called me into this army, I had nothing. And if I end with nothing, I'll still be even. I will win. My God will supply all of my needs. I am more than a conqueror. I 
always triumph. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I'm a soldier. I'm a prayer warrior. Devils cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I am a soldier. I am a soldier in the army of the Lord. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from this battlefield, he'll promote me to a captain and then bring me back to rule this world with him. See, I'm a soldier. I'm a prayer warrior in the army of the Lord. And I'm marching, claiming victory. I'll not give up. I'll not turn around. I'm a soldier. I'm a prayer warrior marching heaven bound. I can do no other. I wonder... Is there any soldiers in the house? Is there anybody that's enlisted? Is there anybody that's willing to say, if he calls me, I'm already ready? We got to have some soldiers. I said, we got to have the soldiers. Listen, some of you look at me and say, he's just too militant. I don't know if you know it or not, but we're in a war. And souls are on the line. People are going to hell every day. I said people are going to hell every day. The devil is attacking on every side, and we seem to be losing more ground than we're gaining. We need some soldiers. I said we need some soldiers. Let me tell you where a soldier finds his power. Down on his knees. We need some soldiers who'd be willing to get on their knees and pray through. Is that that language y'all don't understand? Pray through. Just pray through. You're not going to quit because you can't quit. You're going to pray through. My little mother used to call it getting the witness. She'd be praying about something and she'd say, I got the witness, it's going to work out. I wanted to meet the witness. I didn't know what she was talking about. But it didn't take me long till I figured out that little woman knew how to pray through. And she'd get to praying and she'd just grab hold of it like a bulldog with tenacity. And she wouldn't quit praying until she got through. And when God gave her peace, she quit. I got to witness. Man, I imagine if I were God, I'd be so sick and tired of hearing, Lord, bless me, my four no more. Bless the meat, let's eat. I mean, just the man be pamby little prayers. People dying and going to hell. Where are the soldiers? Where are the soldiers? Well, you can't be a soldier if you don't know Jesus. And tonight, if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to meet him. He loves you so much. He loved you so much that he stretched out his arms on a cross called Calvary. Nails pierced his hands and feet, a spear pierced his side, a crown of thorns pierced his brow, and he shed his life's blood. And in shedding his life's blood, he was fighting a great battle. And it was your battle and my battle, but we couldn't do it. We could die, but we couldn't save ourselves even, let alone anybody else but God. I might just preach but God for a minute. Listen, he sent Jesus to die. He fought the battle on the cross. 
And if we would come, believe, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, on the third day God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you come and accept Jesus? Would you come and accept Jesus? Well, preacher, I don't know what you've been talking about if you accept Jesus. You know, you've got to be willing to endure. Yes. Yes. I want to tell you something. Some of the darkest days and the deepest valleys are some of the sweetest memories. Do you know Jesus? If you don't come, in just a moment our pastor will be here. I'll be here. Come take one of us by the hand. Say, I want Jesus in my heart. We'll just open scripture and share with you what he said. You can ask Jesus to come in. He'll save you tonight. And my friend, listen, please don't go away from here without Jesus. For those of you who know Jesus, he's accepting some recruits. Some of you joined up, but you've been AWOL. It's time to come back. It's time to get in line. It's time to start fighting the fight. Listen to me. None of us have as much time as we had yesterday. None of us. My daddy was a preacher of the gospel. The Lord called him home at 44 years old. Preached the night before. Had a malignant brain tumor. We didn't even know till the autopsy. My sister died in 2010. 46 years old. Ovarian cancer. I've outlived my daddy and my sister. This coming December, two years, my mother died. Suddenly. She's 77. I, I know y'all really don't know me and my family, but that's all that was in my family. Mother, daddy, me and my sister. I'm the only one left out of that family. I want to tell you something. Time's more precious to me than it's ever been. And time doesn't care how old you are, how much money you have, how good you think you are. We got to get in line. We got to get busy because he's coming. I said he's coming. I said he's coming. Let me tell you this and I'm going to be done. I know I got to stop. Listen, Sunday I preached at a church I talked about having a burden for lostness. I was preaching at a church in Tennessee. And, and, and after service, listen, listen to this, listen to this. After service, I had two people who came up to me and they said, I'm burdened for the lost. Both of them were senior adult ladies who were walking on canes and could barely get around. And they said, I'm so burdened. For one lady said, I got eight people on my street I'm praying for. We got too many soldiers who are in good shape. Could be out there beating the bushes. We're too lazy to get up and do anything. We're too content with everything. We're too entangled with the world. We need some soldiers. This world's in trouble. I said, this world's in trouble. You don't know where the next terrorist is going to hit. Do you? Are y'all like me? You get up every morning, watch the news, see where it happens. Every day, it seems like. Every day. Hey, Jesus is coming. He's on the way. I, I, 
I'm like that one preacher I heard. I believe Gabriel's licking his lips, getting ready to blow that horn. Amen. And we could all shout over his coming, but think about how many people be lost. And we didn't do anything about it. God in heaven. Maybe tonight you need to come get on this altar. Maybe you can't kneel. Come stand on this front pew as a commitment to the Lord and say, God, here am I. I sign up today. I'm reporting for duty. I'm ready to serve whenever, wherever, no matter the cost. If you need me, I'm there. Dear God, let it be. Father in heaven, oh God, we need you. God, we need you. Oh God, we are tempted on every hand. We are pulled in every direction. And Lord, at far too many occasions, we've given in to the pressure. God, I pray tonight you'd forgive us. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to re-up. Oh, God, let us come and report for duty tonight. God, I pray for that man, that woman, that young person that sits here and they're moved by your Holy Spirit and they're ready to get in the fight. Oh, God, draw them. And Lord, for those who sit here lost without you, man, woman, young person, Lord, draw them to yourself that they'd be saved tonight. God, have your way. This is your invitation. And I pray, God, you would move as you've already begun, and that you would draw people unto yourself that they could be changed forevermore. Have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name.